Welcome to CAE Pilot Podcast, a podcast that brings together aviation professionals to discuss life as a pilot, training, and career advice. You can find us at cae.com forward slash CAE Pilot dash podcast or subscribe to our show on your audio podcasting platform of choice. You can also find our video podcast on our YouTube channel. So welcome to the CAE Pilot Podcast. Today we are going to continue our our series on becoming a pilot. And um, today we are lucky to have Kyle Portella, who is the chief instructor at CAE Phoenix. And he's going to tell us all about what it's like to become a pilot. How's it going, Kyle? Going great. Thanks, Patrick. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I can't wait to, to talk to you a little bit. Now, where are you? So we're in Mesa, Arizona at the Falcon Field Airport. And so that's CAE Phoenix. Correct. Yep. CAE, uh, CAE Phoenix. And we're uh, Mesa's a suburb of, of the Phoenix Valley. Very cool. And tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, your, your experience and how you became a pilot, all of that good stuff. Yeah, great, great. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Uh, so, so thanks for having me. And just, you know, I love the ability to just share and inspire pilots from all around the world and hear stories and just, you know, feel the passion, right? Feel, and that's, uh, that's the most exciting part. So uh, I'm from, so I'm from Idaho originally. And I've lived in Arizona since 2004. I hate the snow, hated the snow. Grew up there my whole life. And I, I asked myself, where's the warmest place I can go? And Phoenix, Arizona is about, you know, the, the closest thing you can get to being the opposite of that. So I moved out here to go to flight school. Uh, and then I started working for uh, uh, Sabina Airline Training Center, as it was called, back in 2008. So I've been here with CA for 12 and a half years. And we, uh, CAE bought Sabina Airline Training Center in 2008, and sometime shortly thereafter began operations, obviously. Uh, and so I've been here, uh, I've been here ever since. So, so going on almost 13 years now. Wow. So where does your passion for aviation, you're clearly a passionate guy, where does your passion for aviation come from? It's a great question. So, you know, when you, it, it's funny, when you ask pilots, so many pilots have always said, you know, oh, I grew up wanting to be a pilot. This is something I've known I've wanted to do since I was little. And for me, it was different. Um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with my career uh, or my life after, after high school. Um, and so I moved just for a couple months from Idaho to live with my sister in San Diego, California. And while I was working there, I ran into a, uh, a Delta Airlines pilot and just started talking about hey, what do you do? That sounds really interesting. And just had a conversation with him. And then it made me remember a memory that I had that I had kind of forgotten about. When I was about 12 years old, we took a vacation uh, up to northern Idaho, my, my mom and dad and me. And, and I, we went on a float plane, uh, a Cessna float plane trip around and landed on the water. And I said, wait, I remember that. That was pretty fun. And so I, uh, I went and did some discovery flights and, and, and looked around and I quickly realized like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do with my career, you know? And I never wanted to be an airline pilot. So I, most people do. I never wanted to be an airline pilot. I always knew I loved teaching and, and trying to teach and help. Uh, and so I always knew I wanted to stay within the flight training industry. 
Well, that's, that's an interesting career path, because as you say, most people have uh, dreams of, you know, flying, you know, progressively bigger jets and uh, mm-hmm. flying the world and all that stuff. So it's interesting that you really knew that you wanted to be a teacher. I mean, yeah, it's not a teacher. I, mean, I say teacher in the broader sense, but you want to be an instructor. And that's really, you know, it's, it's a vocation, I guess, in a lot of ways. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's there's so many different things you can do with being a pilot. And it doesn't just have to be an airline. Obviously, that's the most common path, and it's an amazing path. And that's what we're here to do is to help, you know, help train individuals and get them to accomplish their dreams as an airline pilot. But if you are someone that's out there that, that you know, wants to fly and wants to make a career out of it, but doesn't necessarily want to be an airline pilot with that lifestyle necessarily of being gone, right? There are options out there for you. There are so many options outside of just being in the flight training industry, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, a corporate pilot or whether it's, you know, a cargo pilot or, or anything along those lines. And I think one of the things we like to do in this podcast is sort of introduce people to all of these various uh, types of pilots. And what's amazing to me is how different each, like you think, okay, pilot, fly an airplane. But each of these jobs is really so different to the other. They have a common thread, but they're quite different in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll I'll never forget. I was doing my uh, flight instructor checkride. And when I was doing my checkride with the FAA, uh, it was with an individual uh, and his name was Mike and great guy. And he, he sat down and at the very start of the checkride and in the, in the United States, to, to do an FAA instructor checkride, it's a very long day. It's the longest checkride you'll take uh, as a pilot. You know, um, Usually the oral runs between three to six hours, and then you have to go do a flight. So my oral was six hours, and the flight was the next day. But I remember sitting down, and the first question he asked was, okay, what do you want to do once you get your instructor certificate? Because it opens up a whole world of options for you. Whether you want to be an airline pilot or you want to use that as your, as your, your pathway to just flying airplanes, it doesn't matter. It gives you the opportunity to really train and affect uh, so many other pilots. And it really is, uh, you know, it, it's a fun, unique thing that, that uh, you can do so much good with in the industry. And, you know, it's funny. I started my career as a lieutenant. And there's so many things you learn in training that I would tell you are, have helped me so much in my career, even though it's not what I ended up doing my entire career. Just the concept of a crew, right? You think of a crew member's concept of team, it's really life and death, right? And it's, yep. and you know, it's working with only what you have on the aircraft. And there's so many things I find that you, you learn, that you can apply to other parts of your life. So I find it interesting. It just reminds a silly little anecdote, but I think it, it reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. And um, we always ask this at the beginning, um, but what's your favorite aviation memory? What's the little great. one that sticks out to you most? That's a great question. You know, 
as a pilot, very, very specific things. Every pilot remembers their first solo, right? It's one of those things where every pilot remembers their first solo or, you know, their check, a check ride, something specific that happened that's a very vivid memory, right? Which will always be with all of us as pilots. But for me, recently I got the opportunity to take my, I have two boys, my wife and Sarah and I have two boys, ages nine and six, Owen and Ryder. And I got the opportunity to take them up in a small general aviation airplane for the first time. You know, we, we've been on airlines and gone on vacation and stuff, but I got the opportunity to take them up for the first time. And uh, that was real. That was a really awesome experience just to see the, the joy and the wonderment in their eyes of, of experiencing the world from a different perspective for the first time. And just the genuine curiosity uh, that you can see that they had. It, it, was, it was something I'll cherish forever. Absolutely. So you mentioned you've been at uh, CAE. Wow going back to the Sabina days. So you said, well, yep. um, 12 and a half years, 12 and a half years. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what your job is. That's a great question. Thank you. Um, so uh, my job is the chief flight instructor. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, to summarize, it's a few things. Mainly my job is to work with the FAA and alongside the FAA to make sure uh, that all the training we do is in accordance to the regulations and that we're training the best, most competent quality pilots uh, that we can. The other aspects of it are to make sure, my job is to make sure that all the training and all the programs are being done in accordance with the regulations that the FAA says that we have to do. And then I have to maintain the specific techniques and procedures and standardization items that the FAA finds acceptable. Um, so, so that's really the, the basic overarching aspect of my job. I always say, if the FAA has any concerns or questions about anything that takes place in the, in, in the building, I'm the responsible party for it. So they call me and I have to kind of help them answer those questions. So, so, that's uh, that's kind of one of the parts, you know. We we have two different sets of curriculum uh, that we off, that, that we operate under it, when it comes to the regulations. So you can be a Part sixty one regulation student or a Part one forty one regulation student, and so the one forty one regulations uh, require very specifically approved curriculum that the FA has to approve that 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 we write and oversee. And uh, goes through a whole process. It's kind of like writing a book, right? It goes, you know, to the editor, and and you know, you you get it all edited back and forth until it's published. And so, I have to make sure that everything is being followed properly within that as well. Okay, so that's the regulatory stuff. Now I'm a student, right? Okay. Tell me about the fun stuff. What am I coming in to do? What am I going to learn? How does it all happen? How does it all come together? Yeah, yeah. So when you come here, first things first, you'll go through, uh, just like probably most places, you'll go through a series of uh, in-doc week, right? So orientation, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll learn and get all, get all the in and outs, get everything set up, you know, get all your, you know, your, you know, your books and your iPad and all those things. And then you'll meet with your instructor. Uh, usually that follows starting the second week. 
that you're here. And you'll get to uh, very first things first. Every time we go and the student flies, uh, we always put them in, in a simulator first. Usually we do uh, about two sessions. Most of our curriculum has the first two lessons are done in the simulator for the aircraft that they're going to fly, which would be the Piper Archer. And so we do two lessons in the simulator. And what we do that for is so you can learn uh, very specific things like getting familiar with the checklists and where the buttons are and how to program the avionics problem. You know, when you go on your first flight, especially the first few flights, you're, you're only going to remember about 20 to 30% of everything that not only happens, but what you're taught on those lessons. So by us putting you in the simulator for, for multiple sessions and getting familiar with the avionics and the buttons and how to run the checklist and just generally how the aircraft moves, we can target very specifically what you should remember. And so you have a better retention level as you move into the aircraft and then further up the flight. And on a practical level, you probably, they are probably much more confident um, or less nervous maybe when they get in the flight deck for the first time. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's a very, we train here at CAE pilots from all around the world, right? Um, and that's one of the unique and most fascinating parts about this is you get to, you get to learn so many different cultures and become lifelong friends with people from everywhere in the world um, that it's, I, I've got a funny story about that. So remind me to ask yeah. me about that yeah. later. But with all, you know, the people from around the world coming to train here, there's so many different cultural elements that you normally wouldn't think twice about, you know, your student from the same place as you. You generally have an idea of culturally how they learn how to drive a car or how something moves. But you have to really make sure that you understand now that different, different people have different cultures. And, you know, we need to make sure that you, everybody knows and is comfortable with, as you said, little things like how the aircraft moves, how to taxi the airplane properly. So we're not nervous. You're not, you know, you're not scared. And then you can be ready and in a good mental state to learn when you get into the airplane for that first time, instead of just throw you right into the airplane. And then by the time three or four flights come, now you're finally starting to understand things that you should have known on the first lesson. Yeah, well, it's, um, it sounds very exciting. And uh, I got to say, you're, you're making me excited. I'm like, I got to go flying. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about. Um, about uh, Falcon Field Airport, like it must be, you know, you show up, now you're, you've been in the sim, now you're in the airplane for the first time, and now you're faced with reality, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. you've got the runways, the control towers, the ramp, you've got all this stuff. What's it like? So that's one of the best parts about training here, not only in Arizona, but at Falcon Field, is obviously in Arizona, the weather, right? The weather speaks for itself. You know, we have so many flying days a year uh, that that's obviously the biggest and the best part about training or training here. But in Falcon Field, we are a class Delta controlled towered airport. 
And we're always consistently in the top 10 of the busiest general aviation airports in the nation. So you're going to learn to fly at, you know, one of the busiest general aviation airports in the country. And you're going to get to learn to fly two airports all around us that are also in the top 10. So you're going to get to learn busy environments, busy controlled airspaces, but also the practice areas that we have, which are where you go to learn your maneuvers. It's wide open space in the desert, right? So it's, you're not confined by specific small places, right? So once you get out of the airspace, it's wide open and you pretty much have all the room you need to go and learn and then come back in. So you get a very nice balance of being able to accomplish everything, but also you get to experience what it's like with a busy environment, busy airspace, which is going to help you learn and transition from this part of your career to the next part of your career as an airline pilot. So there's not such a big learning curve when you go from the airport that you're learning to, you know, to Chicago O'Hare for the first time. You Just know? the scale of the airplanes changes a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's obviously bigger, but it's, a, it's less of a learning curve that, that takes right. place. And so it's going to help you so much more learning in an environment like this. And how many flights a day can I expect to do? So typically what you'll do is you'll do one flight a day, okay? So a normal flight, now it varies depending on the mission requirements. Sometimes they're longer missions and you need to go further distances. So normally a flight is about an hour and a half to two hours long. But for every hour and a half to two hour flight, there's a pre-briefing and a post-briefing, which is where you and your instructor sit down before the flight and you talk about everything you're going to do. And then after the flight, you sit down and review it with them. And those are usually about a half hour to an hour each. So for a two-hour flight, we're looking at about three to three and a half hours of being with your instructor. And then with that, there's all the prep work you have to do to get ready to go on that flight. So for every lesson, you're really spending half a day's work, just getting ready for that one lesson. And then usually you'll have ground school in addition to that flight, not every day of the week. Ground schools usually run uh, three days a week for our private and commercial ground schools. And then for our instrument ground schools, they're going to run five days a week. So most days you're going to be spending a good eight hours of just learning and then I guess you're going home to study on top of that. Yeah. Yep. So what I always tell people the first time I meet a new class and I'm sitting in front of them for the first time, uh, you know, digitally in the, you know, in this, in this pandemic world that we're living in now is treat this like a full-time job. If you treat your flight training like a full-time job, you will find that it will be so much easier for you than it would be if you didn't. And I think in talking to Brent before, he was sort of saying that, you know, the environment at the training center in Phoenix is run in many ways like an airline, right? You have a huge number of aircraft there. You've got, you know, all the planning and everything surrounding a regular operation. Right. So the learning is happening, whether you're flying, whether you're just in the hallways in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's 
we see so many people that you know every day in the hallways that that you know you haven't seen in you know in a few months or people coming back to visit you know that you haven't seen in a while or just your friends or or you know designated pilot examiners with the FAA that that you see every day in the hallway and there's so many conversations going on every day even for me you know but for everybody for the students instructors me where you know people are just looking to just talk talk aviation talk flying and it just piques your your passion and your curiosity and when you can stay curious and you can stay you know driven and motivated like that it's going to help you be so much more successful because you're going to want to go home and you're going to want, you know, to study. And when you're learning at a place, uh, you know, that's a large flight school like CAE, you know, it, it's, you're going to find that there is such an environment, as you said, that's more like the airlines that not only will it help you adapt to being an airline pilot, because a lot of the procedures, a lot of the programs we actually use are used by the airlines. Some of them we were using before the airlines started using them. So there's going to be so many things that you're going to find are similar to what it will be like working for an airline. And that's going to make your transition so much easier. But also the other aspect of it is that you'll actually be able to get done with your training faster and get that seniority number, which is so key in the airline industry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Honestly, you can probably get it done cheaper as well than you could if you went to, uh, you know, a small school or learn to fly with, you know, a, a friend that's an instructor that's got an airplane, you know, because we have so many moving pieces. We have, you know, 92 airplanes, I think, believe it now that we have, right? So. If your airplane breaks that day and it's in maintenance for, you know, it has to be fixed for something small or it's a regularly scheduled maintenance event, we've got another option for you. You can just slide on and go. But at a smaller flight school, that's not necessarily going to be always guaranteed. One, one airplane being down for maintenance might be a week or two weeks delayed. Now, when one or two weeks is delayed, that means you may have to do a couple extra flights to get your proficiency back up to where it was before. And now that's costing you more money. Right. right. And so it really does mimic an airline. I'm just thinking the conversations in the hallway, anybody who's been in a crew room at an airport knows that that's, you know, you're getting close to a crew room because there's people in the hallways chit-chatting, right? <laughs> you know, um, you know, going back to the flying, though, when you're in an aircraft doing, you know, a lesson or you're doing a flight, are you alone with the instructor or the other people on the aircraft? How does that work? So, so, so it depends. But a lot of the times, now, right now, yes, it's going to be you and your instructor. But that's just simply because of the pandemic, right? Normally, what we do is you'll have a, a, a flight partner that will be a student that uh, is assigned you and your you and that student are working with the same instructor and we try to have you backseat their flight sit in the back seat uh while they go fly and then we do a turn right so then you'll come back you'll take a short break get some fuel uh you know go go get a snack and then you switch 
So then they'll watch you do their flight. So you'll be able to see everything happen before you actually have to go and do it. And it just helps with the learning process. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what do they say in, in medicine? Um, see one, do one, teach one? Yeah, yeah. Sort of, it sounds a little bit like that. Do you mind if we switch gears a little bit and just talk about, uh, about what it takes to become an instructor? You said that this was your vocation in many ways, but what's the background of most of the instructors in Phoenix? Right. That, that, that's a great question. The, so most of our instructors here in Phoenix are what we call homegrown, which means they started out as students in our academy, and then they became instructors once they were done with all of their certificates. That's not all of them. Certainly, that's not all of them. We do have a lot of instructors that have been here for various periods of time that, that didn't, that, that came here through your traditional roots of, you know, applying for jobs. But most of them are homegrown from our cadet programs, and then they become instructors to build up their time to that 1,500-hour mark. So it's not a, it's not a, a situation where you might see in, in a – in an airline training center where it's, you know, airline pilots on some kind of a special assignment or some kind of a ground duty. There's no requirement that you've been an airline pilot or anything along those lines. No. So once you get your, um, you know, in the, in the United States, it's a little different, right? Than it is necessarily in other parts of the world. So after you get your private certificate and your instrument rating, then you go and uh, get your commercial pilot certificate. And after that, then you can get your uh, flight instructor certificate. And then once you have that, you're eligible to go start teaching, right? And then once you've been a certificated flight instructor for two years, then you can start to teach other people to be instructors. I see. Okay. <laughs> so I know in some parts of the world, there are different requirements, uh, you know, time frame requirements or hour requirements of after you're already an instructor to teach various phases of training. But in the United States, it, uh, you know, if you have a, you know, a CFI, you can teach, you know, you can teach private pilots, you know, for example, um, if you have a, an instrument instructor certificate, you can teach instrument, things like that. So once I finish my training in um, Phoenix and I'm part of um, I'm, I'm part of a cadet program from a partner airline, what, what's going to happen at the airline? So now I leave, what kind of license do I have and what's the next step? Great question. So it, it, it varies with, you know, which, which airline and, and program that you're in. Um, but uh, typically what will happen is once you finish your time here, uh, then you'll move on into the airline. And then at that point, you're, you are just a regular airline pilot at that point. So you're going to go through your type rating training, uh, making sure that you go through all that. And you're going to go through your, your IOE and your standardization. Um, and then you're just in typical airline pilot life at that point. So really, if I want to fly a 737, I'm going to learn to fly the 737 with the airline. Yes. Yes. And it does vary with, uh, with which, you know, with, with which, you know, certain, certain places you'll get assigned specific aircraft types, obviously. But, you know, there may be a few options and, and you'll be put into one specific option. And, chan and chances are you end up at another CAE training center. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So Arizona, 
great place. Obviously, you've talked about the weather. And I'm assuming the cadets get a little bit of time off. What's, what's it like? What's Arizona like for someone who's never been there, but who's coming on this great experience to become a pilot when they're not doing their course on the minimal time they have off? What is there to do? Well, first off, drink lots of water and wear sunscreen. <laughs> and there there's a lot of if you're if you love outdoor activities this is this is a great place to to, to come and live you know we have uh the salt river and it's a very popular thing to go tubing down the salt river in the summertime and uh it's not a fast moving river it's a slow paced river and it's uh it's going to take you hours and hours with your friends in a tube and just having a fun time and we have so much good hiking all around as well, right? Arizona, and that's my favorite part about Arizona. It's such a diverse state, right? We have a desert like, you know, like Phoenix, you know, anything south of Phoenix is desert. And really anything north is very high mountains. You know, we have the Grand Canyon, we have Sedona. So we, everything is just a short drive away if you want to go hiking or camping or, you know, tubing down the Salt River or going to the Grand Canyon. Those are all things that are short drives that you can do, uh, you know, on a day trip, right? And then, you know, if you want to have a weekend to get away, you know, Las Vegas and San Diego are both very, you know, four to six hours and they're a great, great day trip and obviously fun places to go visit as well. And if you're an avgeek like most of us are, there's a lot of aircraft boneyards, I understand. Mm -hmm. I'm sure very lots of boneyards storage areas right now. The Pima Air Museum down by Tucson uh, is is popular uh, as well. Absolutely. It's very, very cool. Well, I was there once on a layover. It was 24 hours. And I remember just walking in a, in a district that was lots of uh, art galleries. It was, yes. really cool. it was super nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have a couple airports that we regularly fly into and use for training that are boneyard airports. Oh, so nice. uh, you, you'll fly, you'll fly in and you'll be practicing uh, landings or, or what, what have you. And all around you on both sides are 747, 737s, insert name of aircraft type here. And there are just tons of them multiple of them all around you from all different parts of the world with all different, uh, you know, companies and libraries and things like that. And it's very, it's awesome to see. It's awesome. But don't you find it a bit sad too? Cause an airplane yeah, is not supposed to be on the ground, right? It's, it's yeah. Little, yeah. Little, little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you one last, uh, one last thing, you know, a lot of people right now are thinking about their futures, right? They wanted to become pilots, but they see the impact that COVID has had on the airline industry. I should say, though, that business aviation, as an example, is you know really coming back um, in a good way right now. But generally, you know, there's a lot of pilots who are maybe out of work right now, and someone who's coming into it might be hesitant right now but what would you say to them what would your advice be what would your words of encouragement be i love this question patrick <laughs> first and foremost don't give up don't give up on your dreams and don't give up on your passion keep going it may take slightly longer to get where you want to go 
but you will get there. It will take a little bit for travel to pick back up. We all know that. But the pilot shortage is still coming. This just put a Band-Aid on it for a little while. If being an airline pilot is your dream, you can still achieve this. You can do this. The industry needs you. And please keep dreaming and keep flying. And I think anybody who ends up as a student of yours will, that, that infectious enthusiasm and passion for it will certainly spread. Listen, I can't tell you how, how much fun it was to speak to you. And, you know, we'll have to find another reason to do it. Uh, we'll find another topic for another podcast and we'll do it again sometime. Let's do it. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. And I just want to tell our, uh, our listeners, go check out airside.arrow. Lots of great content there. Lots of uh, great stuff for those who are flying and those who are aspiring to fly. Thanks again, Kyle. Thanks, Patrick. We'll see you. Take care. CAE Pilot Podcast is brought to you by CAE, the global leader in training for the civil aviation, defense and security, and healthcare markets. For more information, check out CAE.com.